Pastor Sam and worship team. Boys and girls that are headed to Children's Church, you are dismissed. I want to encourage you later, not now, but some of you are going to disobey me because you are rebels, you are sinners, and you hear an instruction and you immediately want to break it. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if that's you because some of you would not want to raise your hand because I'm giving you instructions. Read in your bulletin later the lyrics to that song again. Sam wrote that, um, and I think there is a masterpiece going on in which he contrasts Christ there with Samson. That's something I'm going to do partially in this sermon, but I want you to see the contrast there, and he did a great job with the lyrics of that. I think it's a marvelous thing for you to reflect upon. Look at verse 1 versus verse 2. Look at that first round of the chorus and the slight change from we need to he is to we sing, and that is the movement, hopefully, of today's text in Judges, starting chapter 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 251. And if you don't have a Bible at home and a translation, you can read and understand, as I say almost every week, be our guest and keep that Pew Bible if you can read it, understand it. Follow along reading in the Bible with us. If you're new to reading the Bible, I'd suggest starting in the book of Matthew and ask questions about what you read. It is totally normal. In fact, it's good to ask questions of others about what you're reading in the Bible. And I'd encourage you to do that, whether of me, whether of somebody that invited you, or whether that involves getting in a Sunday school class that gathers at 9.15 each and every morning here in the building. In Judges 13, we're going to start walking through one of the strongest and yet weakest people in the Bible. As probably an eight-year-old, if you had asked me to list five guys in the Bible that you wanted to be like, I am pretty sure I would have listed Samson. If you were to ask me today, five guys in the Bible that you should not be like and are not like, I hope it is Samson. Because you see, at this point, I do not have long hair like Samson. Okay? By God's grace, I have learned a few things by his grace and been taught from him to avoid some of Samson's mistakes. I am not a perfect person. I am still a sinner, but by God's grace, he has instructed me, and I think I've grown and matured some in my life, which is something we never see from Samson. And as my son will let all of you know, I am not nearly as strong as Samson either. So, um, Samson is a hero because he was used by God. But there is nothing heroic about Samson. He did not use his strength to defend others. He used his strength to pursue personal vengeance. He was not like David, who prayed and defended the glory of the Lord against a giant Philistine. Instead, Samson, was we're going to see today, prayed great selfish prayers. If you want a model of how to pray selfishly, look at Samson's prayer. If you want a model of a lack of self-control, look at Samson. If you want a model of vengeance is mine, saith me, look at Samson. Today we're going to look at Samson for most of the ways in which he is contrasted from Jesus. 
and yet used by God, what does it teach us about God that God can use a broken person like Samson whose weakness exceeded his marvelous strength? Well, I hope we'll see that today. Follow along. We're going to read from excerpts of Judges 13 through 16. I'm going to pause, discuss some of the things, explain some of the things, summarize some stuff for us. Judges 13 and verse 1. And the people of Israel, what is that word? You guys are getting used to this by now. Every week, the people of Israel again do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Like this, at this point, you expect this to be the beginning of the sermon, and not because I'm a broken record, but because they are on, stuck on repeat doing what is evil, and God just gives them into the hands of a different people most weeks. Again, they did what was evil. Notice the text doesn't say they did what they called evil. In fact, they probably called it good, and that's where we're going to see starting next week in the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes that was evil in the sight of the Lord, and I think there's a little shift happening already right here in Judges 13. What they are doing wasn't evil to them. It was evil to the Lord. Their metric and rubric and gauge for what was right has shifted from what God has said to what they say. And they're not seeing a problem with themselves because they have put their eyes on the wrong audience. It's all about them. And it's all about Samson. He doesn't concern himself with what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He concerns himself with what is right in his own eyes, as we will see. Okay. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So at this point, God has sent word to a childless couple that they are going to have a child. This is a special child they're going to have. This has happened a couple of times in scriptures at this point. Okay, it's happened with Abraham and Isaac. It's going to happen later with Hannah and Samuel, Elizabeth with John the Baptist, and as Pastor Sam's song pointed us to, Mary and Jesus. Many of those very special children, born of God for a specific purpose, used by God mightily. So we read through this, and if you've been tracking through the rest of the Bible, and you don't know much about Samson at this point, and I haven't given you this intro on Samson and his brokenness, you're like, hey, this is going to be a special kid. This is going to go well. This is going to be marvelous. God's going to begin to deliver. There's special instructions for how they're to raise this child. All right, and the special instructions was to do a Nazarite vow. Now, because I'm guessing most of you did not read Numbers chapter 6 this morning before coming to church, I'll remind you that the Nazarite vow was typically a temporary and voluntary vow where someone in their time would temporarily and volunteer for themselves, dedicate to themselves to the Lord in a couple of special ways. One thing that they were not to be doing under this temporary, voluntary, normal pattern was even touching grapes, 
much less drinking the produce of the vine. Okay? One of the things they were supposed to be doing is abstaining from dead bodies. And another thing that they were supposed to be doing is not cutting their hair. So, as you picture what Samson is looking like growing up, it would be helpful if you had actually known Pastor Sam pre-First Baptist Springfield days. I should have gotten with Miss Ashland to actually get the, the Samson hair that Pastor Sam used to have. But believe it or not, when he came up here to interview, he didn't think you guys would love his Samson hair. So he was encouraged to abstain from his Samson hair days. So maybe sometime soon we can find some of his Samson hair days. But think of Samson with long flowing hair because he not only, well, maybe not flowing because it seems to be knotted up after his entire life in the Nazarite vow, not chosen by him, but dedicated by his parents in obedience to the Lord, not temporarily, but permanently, not his own decision. And he might have a problem with this decision made by his parents on his life, as we'll see with his decision-making later. All right, chapter 13, there's further instructions, there's some interaction, God proves it to himself. We get to verse 24. The woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the young man grew... And the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manhanadan between Zorah and Eshtal. And if you're thinking ahead to Christ still, you're thinking about Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature and with favor with God and man. Things are going well with Samson. It looks so promising here at the end of chapter 13. And we, we look into the next verse, though. Because this is the book of Judges, and it does not begin with he did evil again, but it actually shows us his evil starting in chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and Timnah, Philistine city, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up, he told his mother and father, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Okay, as a reminder, God is not against inter-ethnic or inter-racial uh, marriage. God is against marriages throughout the pages of the Old Testament and new between people that do not both believe and trust in him. Those that you are affiliated most closely with are typically your spouse, and the rubbing off is not often in the correct direction, and they were commanded not to marry across religious lines. He knew that. He was supposed to be special unto the Lord. He sees a forbidden woman and decides that she is right in his eyes. Just as the people did what was right in their eyes and wrong in the eyes of the Lord, he has found a woman that he finds right in his eyes and yet is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. He's not concerned with his character, her character. He doesn't talk with her and find out that she's a good and godly woman, that she's going to make a marvelous spouse. He, like Tarzan, says, she pretty me want. Looking like Tarzan, acting like Tarzan, she pretty, me want. And that seems to be all of the emotional maturity and self-control that he has. At this point in his life, when his parents push back and say, don't marry her. God's given you, there's a lot of fish in the sea. 
why has it got to be this one bad jellyfish? And he looks and says, she pretty, I want. And instead of even like working with his parents who in his time were supposed to be helping, actually really picking who he was going to marry, he looks at them and he stomps his foot. No. Except in full-blown, grown man body size, he's actually like pitching a temper tantrum with his long hair. So boys and girls, in box number one, I need you to draw a super strong guy, great big muscles, long hair, pitching a tantrum, maybe falling out on the floor because his parents told him no. How dare those parents tell him no? She pretty, I want, no. Ah! That's what the Bible is telling you is going on here. Read your Bible And see what's going on. Don't just skip over. He has lost it. Well, his parents give in. Instead of parenting him well and saying no means no, son, they're not as concerned with his godliness in the long run as they are his happiness. So what they give in and do for him what they think will make him happy, regardless of what it means on his impact with the Lord. So it's not just Samson who's got a problem here. And it's not just Samson who is like the people of our day. It is his parents who often, in our culture also, give in to their children and whatever would seem to get rid of their fit rather than what is good for their godliness. Verse 4. His mother and father did not know that it was from the Lord, for God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, and at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. So there's something really unusual here. Samson wants the wrong things. His parents parent poorly after being instructed by God to raise his children for the Lord in specific ways. They're going to violate that and the, the clear directions of God from his commands of Scripture— and give in, and yet God is using his brokenness for God's big purposes. God is not limited to using great people for good purposes. In fact, he has a track record of using broken people for his good purposes. Verse 5 Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. They came to the vineyards. Uh oh. Okay, he's not supposed to be there. And behold, a young lion came towards him roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I mean, how many of you have torn a young goat? Okay, please do not admit to that in public. As one commentator said, never did a lion so underestimate a man. I mean, just picture it again for a minute. I mean, it does say a young lion. I don't know how young the lion was, but a young lion roars at Samson and Samson shreds him like a bodybuilder could do to a kitten. It is not a good day to be that young lion. He did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. He went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Again, affirmation that he's only looking on the outside. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. 
And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Okay, it's getting weirder here. I, I don't know all that much about bees, but I have never seen bees in the body of a lion making honey. Right? But there's here, and where's Samson doing? He scraped it into his hands and went on. I don't know how he got rid of the bees. I don't like to be stung by bees. Samson did not evidently have any problem here. He got the honey out of the carcass in a vineyard. What were three things he was not supposed to do as a Nazarite? Touch dead things, be in vineyards, and cut his hair. He, we've already, in chapter 14, done two of those three wrong one of them multiple times now. He took the honey, he gave some to his parents, and they ate, but he did not tell them he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do, and as tradition would hold, likely a drinking feast for a long period of time. Samson is violating just about everything that he possibly can. He is in a bad state here. Okay? Summarizing the rest of chapter 14 for us, the following verses, he tells a riddle about eating honey from a lion's carcass as a bet with the men from the village. They get mad that they're going to lose the bet. They threaten his bride's life. She goes and says to Samson, if you really love me, you're going to tell me the answer to the riddle. And he's like, I didn't tell my parents. Why would I tell you? And she's like, if you really love me. And then she pours on the tears and he can't handle the tears. So he gives in to her. She tells them they win the bet. He goes out and kills some dudes to honor his side of the bet. That wasn't what he was going to originally do because he didn't think he was going to lose, but he gets mad. He kills some of their people, brings them the thing to honor his bet. They get mad. They chase after him. At a later period of time on that, they chase after him in anger. He gets mad at her. He doesn't return to her. He goes to his own house. The father of the bride, instead of giving her bride, the bride to Samson, gives it to his best man. And the brokenness just goes on. We get to chapter 15. After a period of time, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, hopefully not one that he shredded. By the way, ladies, today, teenagers, aren't you so glad that when a guy shows up at your house, he shows up with flowers and chocolate and not a young goat? Like, I mean, just think of that Prince Charming that you have in your mind, and he just shows up at your door like with a goat across his shoulders okay there's a lot going on here that you just need your imagination on to see the picture and what is samson doing he's coming to win her back to woo her heart i brought you a young goat to which her dad says you're not going to see her continue he says i'm going to go into my wife in the chamber and yes that is very specific yes that is what you think it is He's showing up, and he's got intentions, and he brought a goat. Her father would not allow him to go in. Okay, I wonder what Samson's going to do. Is he going to stomp his feet? What's he going to do here? Well, let's continue. Her father says, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. But isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she? Hopefully she didn't hear this part. Take her instead. What a great dad. He came with a goat. What could I do but give him my younger daughter? Okay. Samson said, this time, as opposed to last time, I guess, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. You messed with her? As he said earlier when he called his wife a cow, you messed with my cow, now I'm going to mess with you. I don't think she appreciated that either. 
Okay? So Samson went and he caught 300 foxes and he took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between the pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go and the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. He started a blaze bigger than has happened in Maui with foxes that he caught, probably having put his young goat down and tied their tails together. How? I don't know. Somehow, this happened. And why does he do this? For God's glory? Oh, no. Where was God mentioned in here? It was, this time I'll be innocent. I'm going to get my revenge by one-upping them. I mean, not only did they get the riddle wrong by messing with my cow, my wife to be, but then they gave her away, so I'm going to like destroy all of them, an entire city and all their produce and everything, because this one dad gave away my wife. And I came with a young goat, but now I'm going to leave with foxes. So boys and girls, here's your fun one for the day. I bet you did not see yourself doing this. You need to draw a mad Samson with his muscles and long hair carrying a goat and catching foxes. Mad Samson carrying a goat, catching foxes, because that's what we have now. Revenge is getting bigger and bigger. He's doing what's right in his eyes. And it's bringing more and more destruction. Rest of chapter 15. He goes away. The people of the Philistines pursue him. He hides in a cave. The tribe of Judah knows about it. Or they, the Philistines come to the tribe of Judah and say, Hey, we've got a problem with Samson. And the tribe of Judah says, Samson, you got a problem with him? All right, we'll help you. We'll help you capture him. So they go to Samson and say, Samson, what have you done? And Samson's like, hey, here's what I've done. And they were like, well, we're going to take you and deliver you. And he's like, just don't kill me. Just tie me up and hand me over to the Philistines. Now, let me remind you at the beginning of the book of Judges, the people of Judah were the closest to obedient tribe in chapter 1. This was the people that were the closest to godly. And God has been giving them deliverers who function as their judges and lead them. And they should at this point have been saying, hey, like Samson's having victory over the Philistines. This is a mighty conqueror. Let's line up behind this guy that God is obviously empowering to do things. Like he's, he's killing lions like young cats or, or shredding, like shredding them like young goats. Sorry, he's eating honey out of carcass. Like let's line up behind this dude as a judge. And they have become so captivated by the culture that they are in, conquered by the Philistines, that they don't even want a deliverer anymore. They're not crying out to God, God, give us a deliverer. No, they've become so intoxicated and comfortable in their broken culture that they're not even crying out to God about it anymore and taking the solution that God has sent. I think there's a lot there that we could say of ourselves too where we become intoxicated by our culture and comfortable in it, where we no longer cry out to God to deliver us from the brokenness of it. Well, chapter goes on. He breaks free from the, the binding that they had done on him. He kills a bunch of Philistines, and in his usual humorous way with words, he names the place, the place where I killed a bunch of guys with a donkey's jawbone. Not the place where God did mighty things, not the place where I give credit to the Lord. No, it's the place of me. 
okay? Place of me. And he killed more people. It's getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse. We get to chapter 16. And as you should be able to predict by now, Samson is going to have another problem. Samson went to Gaza, Philistine city. There he saw a prostitute and he went into her. The Sam. The Gazites were told Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place. They set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose. He took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Again, Samson, like, commits a terrible act with a total lack of self-control. He's got problems with women, and they think they're going to capture him, and he's just like, oh, you've clocked me in with the gate. All right, gate out, let's go. And he goes out, and that is hopefully an opportunity for Samson to learn. Does Samson learn? Let's look at verse 4. After this, he loved a woman. Again? Samson, come on, man. Learn something. He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that he may bind, we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, later we're going to find out next week that, like, for one dude, 10 pieces of silver was his salary for a year, and that's each of them doing that. So this is like, we're giving you the lottery. You give us Samson, we give you the equivalent of the lottery worth of money. Sounds pretty good to her. She doesn't love Samson. Samson might have been infatuated with her and even loved her in some ways, but she is sold out to the highest bidder on this one. So here's how the story goes. Let's go. Here we go. Six. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. This should be a warning sign. This should be a warning sign to Samson. Like, guys, if a lady ever asks you a question that would help you totally dishonor the Lord, it should be a warning sign. But Samson is not thinking. Or maybe he was. Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She bound them, him with them. And now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Maybe he was just trying her out to see if she was actually going to try to do harm to him, and then he, she does it. At this point, this is not just like a yellow light. This is a double red light, get out of relationship, disastrous relationship, please flee relationship, Samson. So Delilah said to Samson, behold, you've mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he has not learned, he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, I shall become weak and like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread and he did not exit the relationship. Delilah said to Samson, until now you've mocked me and told me lies, tell me how you might be bound. 
And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, she took the seven locks of his head, wove them into a web, made them tight with the pin, and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and the loom and the web, and he did not learn. I'm adding that he did not learn. Before our reminders, how many warning signs do you need? He's become dead to the warnings. So she pours it on with tears in verse 16. Verse 15, sorry. She said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and not told me where your great strength lies. She pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said, A razor has never come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw all that he had told her in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again. He's told me all his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on his knees and called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head and began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And he's captured. He did not know that the Lord had left him. He was going to rescue himself as he had done so many other times. But he's captured this time. God's no longer empowering him. The next verses, they capture him. The people taunt him. They, they claim that their false god, Dagon, was victorious over Samson and Samson's gods. But instead of praying as David did about the Philistines and the giant of Goliath who was mocking the armies of the living God, Samson prays not for God's glory and with God at all in mind. God is just his genie to give him what he wants, which is revenge. Look at verse 28. Samson called to the Lord. Hey, that's a good thing. And he said, oh Lord, please remember me. What is he supposed to remember about Samson that is good? Does Samson have anything that God should remember in Samson's favor at this point? I think not. Remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes because they poked his eyes out. Where is God's glory in Samson's mind? It is absent. This is not be like Samson, boys and girls. I hate to break it to you, but Samson is not the character you want to be like. Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested. He leaned his weight against them, his right and his left, and bowed. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He bowed with all his strength. The house fell upon the lords and all the people who were in it. So all the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. And that is the end of Samson's story. Judging Israel for 20 years for his own fame, his own name, his own revenge, things getting worse and worse, never gaining any self-control. His weakness exceeded his strength. He's a baffling hero with incredible potential as a mighty deliverer who only works selfishly. 
In so many ways, in his birth, he points to Jesus, but the rest of his life could not be contrasted more with Christ. Boys and girls, I'm going to let you do this, but I need you to understand that there's very, very few ways that Samson actually looks like Jesus. But in my mind, Samson is stretching out his arms for his personal vengeance in his death. So you can draw Samson pushing on things with all of his muscles in his death, and you can draw the stretched out arms of Christ who died unlike Samson, not for personal vengeance, but saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So you can draw Samson pushing out on the pillars and the columns in part of box three, and then the other part, I want you to draw Jesus with his arms stretched out on the cross. Not dying for personal vengeance, but dying for others. Not saying, I'm going to get even, but Father, forgive them. Draw Samson's arms stretched out, pushing in his death, and draw Jesus' arms stretched out voluntarily in his death. Some brief things of application for us. Two notes from Samson's life, two things about God. One, a lack of self-control can eliminate the most promising leaders. And that's whether you're six or 96. Samson began with incredible promise. But despite his promise, each chapter begins with him and a woman problem. His weakness for women was greater than his strength. And that may be the case for some of you in this room. It is certainly the case for Samson and certainly the case for people across time who have looked and lusted like Samson and decided not to obey God's good directions for marriage. It's been the case for others who look and want approval and love who has spent their life working for approval and acceptance. This is likely the past story of many in this room, the present story for some in this room and watching online. Some are controlled by their desires for other people, whether it is lust wrecking your life and controlling you as you look at trashy images or pursue the wrong type of people. When the lights are all red, you're still running like Samson towards them instead of away into the Lord. It is quite likely that some of you are showing an incredible lack of self-control and God's control in this critical area. Men and young men, whether watching online or in the room, turn to the Lord in this area and talk with a pastor or your Bible study teacher or somebody else. Don't be alone in fighting such a hard battle. Samson never gathered up the troops. He was a loner who was alone losing self-control. Ladies, because this also, a very same struggle can impact you young ladies. Talk with one of the pastor's wives or talk with one of our women's ministry leaders. One of Satan's greatest tricks is to tell you that you're alone in this type of struggle. Don't get destroyed by being a loner like Samson who gives into his lack of self-control in private. But let me also warn you that a lack of self-control is not only in the eyes, in the ways of lust. It can be all sorts of other things, whether greed, gossip, anger, or laziness. A lack of self-control leaves you like a city broken into and left without walls. Self-control is a gift of God through His Spirit. So we pray to God, pursue God, and we help each other, encourage each other to pursue the Lord in those practical ways. Secondly, disobeying God may not cost you immediately, but it will cost you eventually. Samson kept getting by with stuff. It appeared as if things were okay. 
He appeared as if he could always get himself out of the trouble that he got in, even down to the end, and yet he did not know that God had left him to the consequences in this final occasion. He assumed, because it hadn't been that bad in the past, that he could get himself out of the trouble in the future, and we do the same thing. It is tempting for us to assume that because things didn't go that bad last time, they won't next time either. In Romans 2, we are instructed by God that God's patience and kindness and forbearance is meant to bring us to repentance, not to let us linger longer in sin. Turn according to God's grace before the disastrous stuff happens. Thirdly, God uses broken people for his purposes. As we read through Samson's life, other than the startling humor and nature of the violence, what is striking most is that God keeps using Samson. And Samson doesn't even know it. Okay, so boys and girls, in box four, I need you to draw God's great big hand with a little Samson in it. Because it's really God's great big hand with little Samson and God moving things around. And Samson thinks he's in charge. In reality, is God is in charge and moving Samson around like a little tiny action figure. Samson wanted his original wife because of how she looked, not because of her character. She was forbidden for her idolatrous ways, but God was going to use little bitty Samson according to his great big hand. He was using Samson's broken desires for his glory, and I am not telling any of us to pursue sin so that God can use you according to his great big hand. What I'm trying to show you is how much greater God is than we are. God doesn't need perfect people to accomplish his marvelous purposes. He has a track record of using people like you and I and Samson for his glory. So do not limit or what God can do in your future based upon your past. Because his marvelous, majestic grace exceeds that of our sin. We call and think of Samson as a hero, but it's really God that is the heroic one working behind the scenes with a guy who has a weakness greater than his incredible strength. Not only is Samson's weakness greater than his strength, but so also God's mercy is greater than Samson's weakness. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, we see Samson listed as doing some things by faith. I'm not exactly sure when all of this happened, but I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11 just briefly for us, verse 32 through 34, which says this. Tell me what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, we've seen him, Barak, we've seen him, Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And the text goes on and says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, whether that's Daniel or whether that's Samson here, I'm not sure, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. It is by faith. There's something in Samson's life where we don't see great faith. We see limited faith. And yet, God does not remember and list Samson in the New Testament according to all of Samson's struggles. You see, God remembers his people according to his grace and not according to their sins, not according to their works. 
Like Samson, you and I have made a lot of mistakes, whether in the present and the same types of sins that he's had or all sorts of other types. But what is greater than your mistakes is God's great mercy that can remember you not according to your past, but can remember you according to his mercy. You can be a trophy to the mercy and grace of God, whether you're watching online because you don't know how to let yourself come into the doors of a church or whether you're watching today, having been in a church your entire life, but knowing as I read through this text that there's a way in your life that you have been like Samson time after time after time, same struggle, same struggle, same struggle. You can be a trophy remembered by God's mercy, not by your sin. I want us to look in Psalm 25-7 as we get ready to conclude. Psalm 25-7 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. After that twist and turns verse that we learned this week, What a beautiful verse where the psalmist cries out to God, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According, not to my works, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. You see, what was greater than Samson's weakness is God's mercy that washes away sins, that makes him white as snow, that allows him to be remembered not according to his mistakes. You and I, if we were honest, you would all look and say, I remember my greatest mistake. I remember my greatest failure. I remember the time that I did and I would never have thought I would have done. God doesn't have to remember you according to that. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then I need you to know that today can be the day when you go to God and say, God, I have failed you not just in that time or other times, but in so many ways. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior in my place. I need a deliverer who can rescue me from me. And then God doesn't remember you according to your mistakes. And if you have trusted Christ as your Savior in the past, then you are washed clean. You are not remembered by God according to your sin of your youth and your past, but according to his mercy and grace. You see, there was a greater deliverer who came. And as Sam wrote about, and we sang about a few minutes ago, your past and your present doesn't have to determine your future because God sent a true deliverer. Promised to another woman in an unusual situation, unlike Samson, Jesus grew. And he fulfilled God's perfect plan. He exhibited perfect self-control, saying no to all sinful desires. He conquered our greatest foe, not the Philistines, but sin and death. Unlike Samson, Jesus was not selfish in his death. He gave himself for people not to die. Samson gave himself to kill people. Jesus gave himself to let us live forever in God's delightful presence. Unlike Samson, Jesus did not pursue vengeance. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Unlike Samson, Jesus did not just begin deliverance, but brings ultimate deliverance. He does not bring temporary peace with the nations, but ultimate peace with God. So we can be remembered not according to to our Samson-like works, but according to Jesus, the true deliverer's grace. Let's rise and celebrate him.